0: Hello, 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 hello. Hello. Is anybody there? Can you hear me?
1: Yeah, I'm here.
0: Can you hear me now? Mostly. Can you hear me now? Good. <laughs> Welcome to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia, chapter by chapter, and today we are discussing chapter three of The Last Battle. This chapter is called The Ape in Its Glory. I'm a very frazzled squirrel leader, also known as Kristen, and this is my co-host.
1: I'm a great tusked shaggy boar. Ooh. I'll send not as Chris.
0: Well, hello, Chris. Welcome. Hi.
1: Why are you so frazzled?
0: I'm frazzled because uh, having an allergic reaction to something. Um, Somebody got a flat tire on their way to work this morning, so I've been having to juggle all of that. I'm a little frazzled. It's been a day.
1: Mm-hmm. Usually is for you. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, how are you? I
0: am well. How are you?
1: I'm good. I don't want to go into work.
0: Yeah, I get that. But what are we doing tomorrow?
1: Taking a taking a trip.
0: We're having an adventure day.
1: We are. I'm excited about that. It's pretty exciting.
0: It is. All right, so. This is how
1: we talk to each other in real life, by the way. We're just terrible at banter.
0: <laughs> yeah, because usually you try to make a joke and I'm just like, yeah, but why is that funny? Yeah, usually. <laughs> we are bad at banter.
1: Uh-huh. Usually, the only times I can make Kristen laugh are when I hurt myself or do something hey. stupid.
0: No. <laughs> Those are just the majority of the times.
1: Uh-huh. Yep. Aww. <laughs>
0: oh. You're Anywho.
1: my favorite human. <laughs> Appreciate you that. You
0: are my favorite.
1: So, should we talk about the book?
0: Sure, let's talk about the book.
1: How do we do that?
0: Well, the first thing we do is banter, then we summarize the chapter, and listeners, as you know, when Chris and I are reading through the chapter, we each choose five sentences out of the chapter to try to summarize the chapter. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And so, uh, who wants to go first? You should go first.
1: Sure. Anyway, so here's my summary of the chapter. Tyrion looked up and saw that the Calormenes, mixed with a few talking beasts, were beginning to run toward them from every direction. I, who was king of Narnia, and am now a dishonored knight, give myself up to the justice of Aslan. Aslan would never sell us into slavery to the king of Calormen. The Calermens used different words, but we all mean the same thing. But now, as Tyrion looked round on the miserable faces of the Narnians, and saw how they would all believe that Aslan and Tash were one and the same, he could bear it no longer.
0: All right we have the same first two sentences for the summary. There we go. (laughs) So here's mine.
1: Cool. I bet I know what your first two are.
0: Tyrion looked up and saw that Calormeens, mixed with a few talking beasts, were beginning to run towards them from every direction. I, who was king of Narnia and am now a dishonored knight, give myself up to the justice of Aslan. Most sapient mouthpiece of Aslan, the Tisroch, may he live forever, is wholly of one mind with your lordship in this judicious plan. He meant to go on and ask how the terrible god Tash who fed on the blood of his people could possibly be the same as the good lion by whose blood all Narnia was saved. If he had been allowed to speak, the rule of the ape might have ended that day. The beasts might have seen the truth and thrown the ape down.
1: Oh, he did a good job with that one as well. Thanks. Um, so anyway, here we are, chapter three. Uh, still have nobody from Earth show up in this chapter. Spoiler alert. True. Well, uh, so we do,
0: however, have the ape claim to be a man.
1: We do have that happen. Yet more allegory. This is another another heavy one. A lot of a lot of deep uh, deep and very obvious symbolism to talk about. Yeah. So we start out by Tyrion feeling really bad for what he did.
0: Well. We start out by the horse saying, this is the will of Aslan. The horse that they just dove in and tried to save. mm -hmm. It's just like, no, you're not. This is Aslan's will.
1: Yeah. You're not doing any good. And then everybody rushes toward them because obviously there's more dudes there than just the two calabines they killed in the last chapter. And then they skedaddle. Mm Mm-hmm uh, Tyrion jumps on Jules' back, they ride off into the woods, uh, they lose their pursuers, and then they start feeling bad about doing so.
0: Because they literally jumped on two unarmed men and killed them.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, in some countries that's wrong. Um, I don't know the by- what?
0: What? <laughs>
1: I don't know the laws and bylaws of uh, Narnia, but, you know, I'm assuming that's, uh, well, probably we no, no
0: sorely provoked according to jewel however that doesn't make it any difference
1: that's that's very true i mean also Tyrion's a leader and as we know like leaders of state can do basically anything they want to without consequences so
0: i think the more important uh point there is though like one they killed two unarmed people uh-huh. in defense of a narnian citizen who was being beaten
1: mm-hmm.
0: however it's when that Narnian says, this is the will of Aslan,
1: uh-huh.
0: that then makes them question everything about what just happened. Yes. And there's a really intense moment in which Tyrion and Jewel are reflecting on whether or not Aslan would order such a thing ever. Uh-huh. And we have the discussion of, oh, well, he's not a tame lion being thrown around once again. Comes back. But we also have... uh. Tyrion say, would it not be better to be dead than to have this horrible fear that Aslan has come and is not like the Aslan we have believed in and longed for? So he would rather go back and face the justice of Aslan Mm -hmm. in order to prove that Aslan is still Aslan. Yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, he has a major crisis of faith here and that's that's kind of a big deal even though like Tyrion has never really interacted with aslan at all but has you know heard stories and legends and like this is the the faith he you know holds fast to and yeah the i the idea that you know your god that your country and life is built around is you know it's it's arguably much worse than said god not existing is that god being completely different in character yeah being like oh yeah this this being exists but is actually evil
0: Mm
1: -hmm. like that would be a you know it's a much more crushing blow to deal um and yeah they had this deep conversation about the crisis of faith and you know saying hey look if the sun rose one day what if it was a black sun what if it was everything different than what you thought it was going to be uh and then Joel chimes in with what if you took a drink and it was dry water yeah (laughs) ever had dry water Kristen
0: don't don't get me started on this again what you and I have already had this fight in this this last calendar month like no we're not gonna do this wet water thing
1: about wet water
0: was it you and me or was it me and somebody at work I
1: don't recall us having a fight about this at all
0: there is such a thing as dry water in a scientific terminology where the molecules don't touch each other
1: okay yeah yeah we didn't have this talk
0: no no. I'm you're triggering me here, man. <laughs> okay. I've, I've had this argument recently <laughs> with somebody.
1: All right. Anyway, moving on.
0: They were like water can't be wet because water wets things and I was like actually it can because the it's the molecules of water touching things that make them wet. So every water molecule that touches another water molecule is wet because it's touching another and oh my goodness, it led to just, just off, like this big argument about whoa, dude! Terminology and scientific experience versus practical experience, and it was it was this whole thing.
1: You know, like whether or not the color pink exists. Yep. <laughs> we can get into that one again.
0: I'm not really down for that today.
1: <laughs> anyway, um, so there was crisis of faith moment, and I wanted to bring up a point of order here, and I'm sure this is a theme that we'll talk about throughout this book. But yeah. we bring up the thing again about Aslan not being a tame lion and then being like, oh, he's unpredictable. Well, obviously, he's not tame. And that comes up again later in this chapter. And also this idea of, like, nobody really having seen Aslan and that shift's plan in the first place is, is like, oh, yeah, Aslan hasn't showed up in a long time. And so if something comes around looking vaguely like a lion and, you know, speaking truths and commands to people, then everybody's going to fall for it. Mm-hmm. And all that being said...
0: We've also established that there are other lions in Narnia. Like, in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there was a lion. Yep. Like, there was a lion that wasn't Aslan. Like, there are other lions around. Anyway, sorry, go ahead, continue. Weird,
1: isn't it? Um, And so, that kind of brings up my question of how much of the events of this book... And how much of everything that's happening is kind of Aslan's fault due to the way he presents himself.
0: Uh, I think that's interpretation. I mean, (sighs) we sit here and have Jewel say, this can't be Aslan's will because Aslan wouldn't order this. I believe in Aslan. And it's Tyrion who says, but you remember he's not a tame lion. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it's it's like saying God's ways are higher than our ways. Like we can't understand. Yeah. Like it's it's that kind of statement where something that's going directly opposed to the character of Aslan
1: uh-huh. and
0: everything that they know about Aslan, they're not going to question it because they don't think that they have a right to say what is and isn't Aslan's will. Uh huh. Because they're followers and not leaders.
1: Yeah. I don't know I just thought it's it's interesting that like uh, a lot of these things seem to be taking place just because like Aslan hasn't really been there and like say the same thing about Jesus. Well and that's
0: (laughs) and that's the point that I'm going to make is that you sit here and you say that but like also there are people who believe in Jesus and and say here's the character of God Uh based on what we know of him. Uh Uh-huh. Who will also say, you know, oh, well, you're suffering right now and all things work together for good. It's like God's not a tame lion.
1: Yeah, I guess that's true. I don't know.
0: Don't question God on this one.
1: Yeah. it's a valid point. Mm-hmm. Glad I could bring this up to uh, to cover that base. Anyway, so <laughs> now that, that argument's uh, done with. <laughs> um. So they decide to take themselves back because they feel bad and like, oh, hey, maybe this is lands well, maybe he's there and we just murdered two people. We should go face judgment. And they, you know, he gets on Jules' back. They head back. They turn themselves in to the Calormines. Uh They get disarmed. They get bound and they get... Tell w- me
0: about the Calormenes.
1: <laughs> well, they come from a land down south. Um, that we have been to before in Horse and His Boy. Mm -hmm. Um, they're, uh, you know, kind of generally kind of, I don't know, I want to say evil people, but they're very, they're very, like, shrewd and very greedy and very, um, you know, they're slavers for the most part. They are, uh, they're dark-skinned.
0: What do they smell like?
1: Garlic and onions. (laughs) They wear turbans. Um, Except for browns. the one.
0: The one leader with a yep. helmet.
1: Uh wear turbans, brown skinned, and they smell like garlic and onions. <laughs> yes, Kristen? Would you it's like just, to say something here? I don't
0: know. It's just one of those things where it's like, you're trying so hard, and we'll get more into it later to make these like very specific racial statements about Keller means to to put them in like the Saudi Arabian Peninsula or in in the Middle East somewhere uh-huh. where even in the last one where we had their outfits described and their shoes curling up and stuff is this very like these kind of thousand and one nights storyland kind of place uh-huh. where you've got the Keller means are very much lifted out of that and I'm I'm sure some of that's racism, but we're also going to get into a lot more of the religious significance later in the chapter when we talk about Tash being their God, uh-huh. their God that feeds on the blood of his people, uh-huh. who demands human sacrifices, yeah, and also who they're claiming is the same as Aslan. Yeah. And then you have this direct parallel of Allah, with god Uh
1: uh-huh
0: with tash and aslan aslan
1: aslan Ooh, that's a new one (laughs) (laughs) we finally found a new way to pronounce it
0: (laughs) (laughs) where we have tash being this kind of figure that has this direct correlation within the monotheistic religions of tash being allah yeah and then we have aslan being jesus Uh and we have this idea that like oh no they're the same God is God, and this is just, you know.
1: Wait, are these fantasy Muslims?
0: These are fantasy Muslims
1: <laughs> Is that, is in that what's happening here? And
0: that's, that's what's happening here.
1: <laughs> I have and no so idea.
0: We have, there is so much going on there, though. Like, And I don't know where the world stood in the religious history at this time point when the book was written and published. Mm-hmm with conflict between Christians and Muslims. Uh-huh. Cuz this was 1950 what? Like
1: <laughs> a number. What to say?
0: 56.
1: There we go.
0: Because like historically in context with like potential conflicts between Judaism, Christianity and Islam, all of which I mean there's there's Different perspectives. There are Christians who say Allah is not God. And there are Christians who say yes, Allah is God. There's lots of different arguments there.
1: huh.
0: It seems very obvious that Lewis does not think that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Anyway, this book was published in 1956. The state of Israel was founded in 1948. Mm-hmm. So this is eight years after the kind of founding of Israel. And there's obviously lots of conflict going on. In Palestine between Jews and Muslims.
1: hmm
0: Yes. So there's obviously a lot of contextual stuff that we don't have, like this is eight years after the found like the establishing of the state of Israel. There's obviously in Palestine there's obviously lots of conflict going on there, but how much is that playing out on the world scale at this point post World War Two? Mm hmm. And how much is it directly impacting Lewis in a way that he would feel inclined to write about it? I don't know. But we very much have this kind of idea that the means are Muslims. Yes. And this false Aslam is here in cahoots with the means who are serving Tash. Naturally. Is this kind of... The Antichrist figure.
1: Yeah, but but who are the fantasy Jews? Since we're doing our I- Abrahamic religions allegory here.
0: I mean, probably the trees.
1: <laughs> the trees are just like, Aslan's a cool guy, but you know, he's not really, you know, he's not really God, you know. I don't know. He lives across the sea, we've never seen him.
0: Uh, maybe maybe <laughs> the dwarves, the dwarves, the dark, the black dwarves that were like that. Nah, Aslan doesn't, Aslan's not real.
1: Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Before we get down that road, let's move on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> um, so the King Tyrion and Jule get led on to this clearing and they see on top of a hill, there's a stable and there's an ape sitting outside of it. Oh, hey, look at Shift. And now he looks much sillier because he is uh he's dressed himself up. And he's got a he's got a red coat on and like all this uh royal accoutrement and jeweled slippers that don't actually fit on his feet and like all this stuff.
0: Well, cuz as you know. Oh, apes' apes feet look like shoe like hands.
1: Yeah, they do. Uh and they see him there dressed up this pi- big pile of nuts next to him that he's like munching on. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And he gets addressed as they come up, and that's uh, in your summary. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lord, shift mouthpiece of Aslan.
0: Yeah, that's not the one from my summary. Okay. Oh, sapient, ah, sapient mouthpiece of Aslan yes. is the sentence I used. Um, but yes, mouthpiece of Aslan. Yeah. Uh,
1: so yeah, Calormeans are uh, very much leaning into this whole thing, and they bring him before the ape. And uh, shift goes ahead and takes uh, the king's sword, wears that, and then around
0: his neck he takes the takes the belt and puts it around his neck.
1: Yep, you smirked as if you were going to say something about that. No, it okay. just
0: it, it's just a funny, it it it's putting this very clown image of shift together. Yes, where he's wearing a dwarf's coat and he's wearing shoes on his hand feet and he's, you know, got a paper crown on his head and like. When they hand him a sword, he pulls the belt over his neck. Uh-huh. Like, a collar. Like, everything everything is wrong with this image, and he's not doing anything, like, glorious. He is very as- skewed. Yes. That's all.
1: Uh-huh. It's intentional, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, he is a parody <laughs> of a person.
1: Yeah. That's all. Um... But Tyrion and Jewel aren't important right now. We're going to deal with them later. Mm -hmm. Uh, He has other matters to talk about first. Uh, He calls for the head squirrel. Yep. And talks to the head squirrel and is just like, you know what? You know what I need? More nuts. Don't have nearly enough. Need to get more of those. Yep. I
0: need, I mean, Aslan requires.
1: Yeah. For all the talk of, uh, you know, Chef being, like, this very clever ape who's, you know, capable of all these manipulations and plans. Like, he screws this up twice. Yep. Where he says, I, oh, I mean Aslan. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I feel like you can't introduce him as being very clever and manipulative and then be like, oh, he's stupid enough to... Misspeak that miss-speak. many times. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of... I don't know, speaking of, of stupidity here...
0: hmm
1: I feel like... Obviously, Lewis is trying to make a point here, and this is all deep allegory. But at the same time, like so many of these animals are painted as being much more stupid than they ever have been in the Narnia universe before.
0: Yeah, well, they're here. It's it's the difference between like belief in Aslan and knowledge of who Aslan is, and that's that's the argument that he's making here. Is like, yeah, you can believe in Aslan. But you'll be led astray by whoever says they're Aslan. Yeah. If you don't actually truly know who Aslan is, and that's kind of the whole point of revelation. It says, like in that that story, it's like, oh, you're going to be deceived. Yeah. Even those, even those who, you know, led you are going to be deceived.
1: Yes. Um. Wait, is this fantasy revelation? Yes, this is. We've already established <laughs> that in this episode. Anyway, so we have a conversation about the nuts. How there's not nearly enough. Uh, then we talk a little bit about how sad it is for the squirrels because they've already given up their winter stores, and now you know they're giving up what's what's left. Yeah. Uh, and all the squirrels are gonna starve. And it's it seems here like, I guess all of Shift's motivations for this entire plan are centered around food
0: does seem that way, yes.
1: Because that's basically all he wants is nuts and bananas and oranges, and these create this, like, grand scheme to get these things. Yeah. Cool. He'll
0: subjugate anybody that he has to, and he'll take from anybody that he can. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Is this code for money? I don't know. Maybe. It's just an allegory for the people that are profiting off of uh, people's faith. Maybe. Um... Man, if only Lewis had been around for the rise of televangelists. If only. What would he have said? Um, but then the animals start to question him. Like, there's uh, this whole process where several animals come forth and question and being like, Hey, so, by the way, why can't we see yeah. Aslan? Why isn't he here? Why haven't we seen him yet? Why are you speaking for him? etc., etc.?"
0: Yeah.
1: Which, uh... Has never happened before, and we don't hear from a badger here. And I expected to hear from a badger because, as we know, badgers are, have famously long memories, and they don't forget things and they don't change. Yeah. And so, it was, should have should have had a badger speak up and be like, "Yeah, no, this doesn't this doesn't jive with with who Aslan is." Yeah. Because he's never done this before.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. But no, we have the boar come up and and ask why he uh. They can't see Aslan, and, you know, Shift well, gives an excuse. Well, the also
0: wants to hear from Aslan directly that he needs the, the nuts and all of that, too.
1: Yeah. Well, he might, he might show up tonight. Like well, It's more than stops. you deserve, though. Yeah. Um, he's been too soft for too long. You know, it's up to me to, to look everybody into shape. Uh, and, but then he, he goes on this whole tangent about how, you know, by the way, not an ape. Shift, it's not an ape. He might look like one.
0: But it's because he's a very, very, very old man, and it's because he's very, very old that he looks this way, and the fact that he's very old it makes him very wise. Yes. And that is what makes him the mouthpiece why Aslan will only talk to him. Yes.
1: So he's not okay with being a name.
0: Yeah. He wants mm. to be seen as a man and treated as a man.
1: Yeah. Gives me very, um... What's his face from the Jungle Book?
0: Oh, the... The ruler of the monkeys? Yeah. Yeah. The ruler of the monkeys.
1: Yeah, he has a name. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it gives me those kind of vibes. Mm hmm. Uh, there's even a song about it in the uh the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Shift doesn't get a song. Do you here. want me
0: to look it up for you? Because no. I'm not gonna I'm not I have no, <laughs> no desire to help you with this.
1: I'm I'm good. We'll I gotta keep moving on. Um we're at a, we're on a clock here. Anyway, uh, so then Abe continues uh, talking about all these plans that he has and being like, "Oh hey, so everybody is going to go down and basically be slaves to Calarmenes. Um and, and that's it's fortuitous, I guess, that Tyrion showed up right when he did for you know this moment in time that Shift explains his grand plan in front of everybody, um, where he's just like, "Horses, bulls, and donkeys are going to go be pack animals, you know, as they should be." You know, all the digging animals like moles and rabbits and dwarfs, which are apparently animals now. Um, mind and blown. He,
0: and he says, someone says, Aslan would never sell us into slavery. Yes. And Shift winks at the means and say, you'll be paid, you're working for wages. Yep. And they'll be paid into the storehouse of Aslan yep. to care for everybody. Yep.
1: Well, you won't be paid. i will go into the storehouse of Aslan. Mm-hmm. Of course. Is this, I don't know. Is this some sort of commentary on like, communism or something like that?
0: I don't know. I. <laughs> I, I don't, don't want to get into that. I don't want. No. <laughs> Just keep going, please.
1: <laughs> because um,
0: I'm not going to talk about politics today.
1: Okay. Anyway. Uh, and he says, no, of course you'll be paid. Well, not exactly paid. It'll go into the storehouse for Aslan, and then he's going to do stuff
0: what with I it. What I just said.
1: Yes. And then the Cas- the Calamians are absolutely just like going right along with this and being like, yeah, 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 cool, got it. You're the mouthpiece of Aslan. We support you in everything you say, et cetera, et cetera.
0: And then the little sheep pipes up.
1: Yep. Well, uh, before, before the sheep pipes up, I didn't want to read this part where Schiff says, Uh, it's all for your own good. There'll be oranges and bananas pouring in, and roads, and big cities, and schools, and offices, and whips, and muzzles, and saddles, and cages, and kettles, and prisons. Yep. And I find it interesting that all these things are listed together in the same sentence. Yep. like schools. Hey- yeah like hey, schools there's... is
0: the one that stood out to me yeah. roads and schools like
1: roads and big cities and schools and kennels and prisons and saddles and muzzles and cages yep it's like lewis is basically lumping all these things into the same category here
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh so is that i don't know is this is another lewis commentary on? those
0: are signs of progress man
1: yeah unlike society at large and best being like hey offices and schools are are modern cages and prisons
0: yeah yeah Exactly. That's exactly what he thinks.
1: Yeah. Um, and the and the this old bear says, "We don't want all those things. Mm-hmm. We want to be free." And shift responds, "You don't know what freedom is."
0: True freedom means doing what I tell you.
1: Yeah. Which. <laughs> Which. <laughs> Yep, go on. Which took is one hundred
0: percent in line with everything that I've ever been taught about God.
1: Yeah. Uh I was gonna say there, there's definitely like a little stinger there where this could be kind of a dig at uh some of how some churches operate. Where, you know, there's a lot of churches and denominations out there that we won't name names, uh but their whole thing is kind of like oh, yeah, well, freedom is your will being perfectly in alignment with God's and doing exactly what God tells you. That's true freedom. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I feel like this is, you know, almost too on the nose for Lewis not to be taking a dig at that, being like, true freedom means doing what I tell you. Like. Yeah. And that's, I don't know, that's, that's always one of those things that's like, Oh, this isn't a this isn't a religion criticism podcast, even though it seems that way sometimes
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> but no that's that's always been one of those things that kind of uh rubbed me the wrong way in uh a lot of different theologies is this idea of well if you're truly good then you want what God wants and you can't possibly choose to do something wrong mm-hmm and, like, the idea of the only way to be good is to give up your will entirely. Yeah. And, like, that is a thing, like, that we can see here in this allegory is something that's incredibly easily exploited. Yeah. So. I don't know, would you like to say more about that? No, that's it. Okay. <laughs> Seemed like you wanted to say more. Nope. Um, cool. Well, he talks down the bear because bears are apparently stupid. That's consistent with with the rest of the books bears are dumb (sniffs) (sighs) and then
0: the bear scratched its head
1: and then the lamb comes forward uh and asks the most intelligent question anybody's asked all day um do we please
0: said the lamb i can't understand what have we to do with the means? we belong to aslan they belong to tash they have a god called tash they say he has four arms and the head of a vulture They kill men on his altar. I don't believe there's such a person as Tash, but if there was, how could Aslan be friends with him? Uh Uh-huh. Now, do you remember some of the cover arts I showed you for this? Yes. Some of them had a big vulture-headed four-armed monster on the front of them? Yeah.
1: Hey, look, it's Tash. Maybe. Whoa. Um,
0: Do you believe in such a person as Tash? (laughs)
1: Maybe well he has he has been mentioned once before like a couple of times before like yeah, in Horse and his boy like they referred to Tash a couple of times yeah
0: and even in this chapter when the Calermins come up they say by the will of Tash we've caught these murderers
1: yeah uh, aesthetically it looks a lot like some of the more like uh, traditional gods from like Central and South American religions yeah and, like gives me very Aztec vibes of like Quetzalcoatl or Something like that, yeah. So, I don't know. It's very much not like a like a direct lampooning of like depictions of Allah or anything like that, but yeah. Um, anyway, there's this monstrous god that apparently like takes human sacrifices and survives in the blood of its followers and like kind of horrifying stuff. Uh, and then this lamb asks the question, and everybody's just like, "Huh, that's a good question."
0: Yeah, could Aslan be friends with Tash?
1: you know significantly asked by a lamb yeah Hand hand. symbolic yeah uh and then shift gets real ticked off at that and immediately shouts him down and is like you know silly baby go go back to your mother like you know nothing about these things um and then says well obviously you know the Kalar means in us are, are the same. We've used the same word, the two different words for the same thing. Tash and Aslan are identical, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Tash and Aslan are only two different names for you know who. That's why there can never be any quarrels between them. Get that into your heads, you stupid brutes. Tash is Aslan. Aslan is Tash.
1: Yes. So, obviously, Lewis is very against the idea that yeah. um, <laughs> the, the Abrahamic religions follow the same God. And he's just like, nope. Obviously not in my in my Islamic allegory here. That's a completely different thing. Yeah. No. Um, but hey, it's syncretism and it's happening, and this is the this is the way of the future. Uh, get that into your heads. Everybody looks really sad, except in the for...
0: same way that your own dog's face can look sometimes. Yep. Because everybody has a dog. Yeah,
1: everybody's seen a sad dog. Uh, But there's one that didn't look at all unhappy.
0: It's a great big Tom in the prime of his life, a ginger cat.
1: Ginger cat. Uh, Let's talk about the ginger cat.
0: Let's talk about the ginger cat. (laughs) Let's do that.
1: Um, uh, Before we get into the ginger cat and finish this up, I did want to um, add in one more thing that I thought was worth talking about. You're um, all
0: over the place, because you were just like, let's get into this ginger cat. And then all of a sudden well, you're like, wait, never mind.
1: I forgot to mention something earlier, right. um, where in the speech where Shift is being like, oh yeah, by the way, not an ape, I'm a man. And this whole thing where like he's dressing up as a king and looking very silly. Like, I, I think it could be interpreted that this might be a little bit of commentary on like the idea of evolution or something like that from Lewis of like, you know, this was a, I don't know. I think it, at the time was, was very much a hot button issue, especially in terms of education as to whether or not to, you know, you know, teach evolution in schools. And it's still to a certain extent, a thing. Um, But thought maybe this could be Lewis saying something about it. And I looked up, what if any of Lewis's views on evolution were, and he didn't really tend to talk about science very much, except other than to make general statements of you know, that are pretty much along the lines of science and religion are attempting to answer two different types of questions and one shouldn't use, you know, put a square peg in a round hole by trying to use science to answer questions religion is you know, looking for and and... so anyway I looked into what Lewis's thoughts on evolution might have been, and it's something he very much didn't talk at length about, but I thought this one quote was interesting from him. Just as my belief in my own immortal and irrational soul does not oblige or qualify me to hold a particular theory of the prenatal history of my embryo, so my belief that men in general have immortal and rational souls does not oblige or qualify me to hold a theory of their pre-human organic history if they have one. So... So it's basically Lewis saying it doesn't matter either way and that his belief in the immortal soul or God or et cetera isn't predicated on, you know, man being created. So
0: all of that said, you think that this could be a statement about evolution, but it's not because Lewis didn't have a feeling about it. Yeah. So... Right. I, just
1: thought, I just thought it was something that people could talk about in this chapter. Yeah, and yeah, I no, to bring it's up.
0: absolutely something that people could read into that, where yeah. Shift is just like, I'm a man, I'm not a monkey. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, like, is reminiscent of, like, the whole Scopes Monkey Trial thing that happened in the American South some, I think, 50 years before this book happened, hmm. where there's a debate about teaching evolution in schools and et cetera, et cetera. But, yeah. anywho, talk about Ginger Cat really quick. Um, so the ginger cat is the one who's not unhappy with the events here and comes forward and is asking like these very cool, rational questions. Uh and says, uh, hey, so you're saying that Tash and Aslan are the same. Does your friend from Calorman say the same thing? And the Calormin's yep, like, yep. Uh No,
0: he's not like yep. The Calormine does not at all say Tash and Aslan are the same.
1: Well he, he, he No,
0: he does not. He says they're, neither of them is better than the other. They are they they are of equal weight. Yes. He does not say they're the same.
1: Yeah. Um, I
0: think that's really important.
1: Well, the wording here is he says, "Aslan means neither less nor more than Tash," and then the cat says, "Especially Aslan means no more than Tash," and the Kalirmean says, "No more at all."
0: Yeah, which which is very much saying these are yeah. two. It is not saying. Like, in fact, it's indicating that there is still a distinction between them. Yeah. It's saying Aslan doesn't mean more or less than Tash is is not even close to saying they mean the same. Mm-hmm. That they are each other.
1: Yeah. And then he asks if that answer satisfied the, satisfies the cat, and he's just like, yep, thanks very much. I wanted to be clear. I think I'm beginning to understand. So what's the cat's deal?
0: I think the cat's Aslan in the same way that the cat was Aslan at the tombs with Shasta in the horse and his
1: boy. And that was my first thought, but if he is, why is Aslan just sitting here listening to all this and not...
0: Because these people clearly are accepting that Aslan would do this, therefore don't know him.
1: Yes, but if he just shows up as Aslan and, you know, demonstrates his power in front of everybody, that ends this entire thing right now.
0: Yeah, same same issue with all of the Book of Revelation. (laughs) Same issue with every church in America that's being led by somebody monstrous Uh uh-huh same with every cult in the world
1: yes but like if god
0: would just show up they believe sure we believe in god we believe in him if he would just show up and show himself they would see that what they that they've been deceived
1: yes the difference here being like in those churches that people are being deceived in like jesus isn't physically sitting in the room being like hey so by the way
0: oh but the holy spirit's there
1: And that was my, that was my thing here is is like he, if this is Aslan, he is physically sitting there. Yeah. And choosing not to do anything about this. Yeah. And not like observing. Because the it's distance. their
0: freedom. They're, they have that choice, right? Yeah. If it's not Aslan, which I would prefer to think, if it's not Aslan, then what does this question mean? Yes. What is this question about what is, why is he specifically emphasizing this idea of Aslan meaning no more than Tash? Is it Tash? I don't know.
1: I don't know. It's gotta be something. There, there's something about the cat. Yeah. I mean,
0: I mean, we've been shown Aslan as a cat before in the yeah.
1: series, so it's probably Aslan. Uh But anyway, this happens, and then Tyrion decides just he cannot take this stuff anymore, uh, and can't see you know these Narnians deceived. And he starts to go on a rant, just being like, "Ape, you're a damnable liar. You lie like an ape." He was going to go on about how terrible Cash is, and this you know they shouldn't be conflating the two yeah and how you know calamity is going to enslave everybody but he doesn't
0: get to so it doesn't matter what he was going to do
1: it doesn't matter um because the you know, shift immediately gets up uh in rage and terror and is just like nope take him away get him out of here we can't listen to him he's gonna ruin this whole thing yeah you know?
0: get him where we can't hear him and he can't hear us yeah go tie him to a tree i'll do justice to him later well aslan will is that one of the yeah, lines yeah, where he miss yeah. he misspeaks yes yeah
1: <laughs> so yeah that's chapter there's a lot there's a lot in there that you can talk about like I'm, we could probably spend another episode just dissecting this chapter and talking about like what the allegory could be referring to because like there's a lot of different notes that it hits Um, but that's not the structure of the podcast it's not so is there anything else you would like to say before we move on
0: mm, nope I think we're good
1: cool so would you like to move on to our next segment let's do it all right
0: hey chris what's our next segment (laughs)
1: next segment is hashtag narnia chopped and screwed where in this one um we go back into the chapter and pick out five new sentences that are usually not the ones we summarize with and use them to tell our own story yep and i'll do mine
0: first since i did my summary second
1: go for it it's a fun little creative exercise
0: Excuse me," said the cat very politely, "but this interests me. True, f- true freedom means doing what I tell you. Well, you're wrong. Well, I'm not. What do you understand of such things?
1: Okay. It's
0: just a it's little very, argument. Very
1: open-ended argument. Yep. I mean, you know, your there judgment you go. on cats.
0: Yep. That's why I wanted to go first on this section. So <laughs>
1: Wait, I know you have issues with cats, Chris. No, no,
0: no. The the cat is the (laughs) one arguing against him.
1: Oh, okay. I thought, oh. I used
0: different voices and everything. (laughs) I even used dramatic reading eye placement. (laughs) When I'm talking as this character, I look that way. When I'm talking as that character, I look that way.
1: That doesn't come across in the podcast audio. Yes, but it obviously (laughs) doesn't come across the table to you either. my favorite. I'm gonna go ahead and do my right now. They took the king's sword away and tied his hands behind his back. He wore what seemed to be a paper crown on his head. All that idea of us being right and the means being wrong is silly. They have a god called Tash. You won't be slaves. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, I like that, so that's but my... it's
0: also not like a news story.
1: Well, yeah, this kind of is my, my my idea behind it was them uh, basically making Tyrion into a puppet king of Narnia. Yeah. But so. again. yeah, I know but but <laughs> I, I I that was me also doing a rewrite in 10 minutes because we had to rush into recording this morning. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> so glad you liked it. Um, shall we go ahead and go into our last segment? Sure. It's the final count. All right, we'll stop before we get sued. Okay. So, in our final segment, what we're doing for this book is we're doing a segment that I'm calling, uh, the final battle. The ultimate conflict? Yeah, we're going to argue about that for the entire book. It's the
0: ultimate conflict.
1: Yep the ultimate showdown of Ultimate Destiny. Yep. So we're doing random bracketed style uh, matchups between various characters pulled from all previous six Narnia books uh, to determine who the ultimate champion of Narnia could be in a fight. So in this segment, which I'm calling the final battle...
0: The final ultimate conflict.
1: Of Ultimate Destiny.
0: The ultimate conflict.
1: Um... Anyway, what's happening is we're doing random bracketed style mashups. Matchups. Not mashups. I'm just mashing two characters together and seeing what weird character comes out of the result of that.
0: This is. <sighs> this is uh, Tumnus and uh, mashed up with Lasarly.
1: Yep. Uh, matchups to see in a fight to the death who would win in, uh, in Ultimate Conflict in, you know, just a battle royale in Narnia. And to make this more exciting, we are leaving out Aslan and also Jadis from the potential conflicts. And
0: also any overt magic users. Yeah,
1: well, there's a lot of rules that I don't have time to go into before Just every intro. Just any
0: overt magic users. Sure. And that includes Aslan and Jadis.
1: So. And Tash. But anyway, we don't, if he exists. So what we do is I randomly select two combatants. Then we randomly select a place for them to combat in. Mm-hmm. And then we talk about it and see who would win and goes on to the next fight in the brackets. So in the last episode, I think we had the matchup between...
0: Lucy and Trumpkin.
1: And Lucy took that one because, you know, War of Attrition, I think she'd do it with the Cordial.
0: Well, and they were in a water environment.
1: All right. Uh, So for this one, I'm going to need a random number generator between 1 and 24 to choose our first combatant.
0: All right. 11.
1: 11. Oof. We have Prince Core.
0: Alright. Thunderfist himself.
1: No, that's Corin.
0: Thunderfist is
1: Corin.
0: Oh, Prince Cor, Cor Shasta. Yes. yes. Say this name right. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about.
1: So we have Prince Cor slash Shasta.
0: And twenty-four.
1: Twenty-four is <laughs> rumble buffin.
0: Alright. <laughs> For my list purposes, can you please tell me what number Lucy and Trumpkin are?
1: So Lucy and Trumpkin, uh, Lucy is 8, Trumpkin is 18.
0: All right. Just to make sure we don't repeat numbers.
1: Okay. And now we're going to go ahead and roll a d10 to determine our environment of, uh, of play here. All right. So I can do that unless you want to. No. Seven. The Underdark. The World Below. Whatever we're calling it. Uh but Shasta is
0: going to have an advantage, I think, because of, because of size.
1: Well, if we're talking about like the Gnome City, like that's in a giant cavern. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we have Prince Horror versus Rumblebuffin. Uh, Rumblebuffin, as we know, um, you know, he's very sensitive guy. I don't know if we really see any of his combat prowess other than him just being really big. We never really established how big he is because I think a lot of the artwork from the books has depicted giants of, like, all sorts of various sizes.
0: Rumble Buffin, which giant is that?
1: Uh, I, I believe that's the one that gets sad and, like...
0: Yeah, because he's not doing a good job in combat and y- yeah. not helping and doing and, a bad job and hurting his side.
1: Yeah, and Reba Sheep comes up and comforts him. Yeah. Uh, so that's Rumble Buffen. Uh, So... <laughs> We're establishing that he's obviously... He's not good at combat. Uh Uh-huh. But is Shasta? Because we also never really see Shasta fight anything except for in, like, the very last scene of Horse and His Boy where he joins, uh, you know, his dad and everybody in the battle. um, And he valiantly does something i think i don't remember exactly how that battle goes but for the most of horse and his boy he's just kind of running from things
0: yeah i feel like that's true
1: um and so we have we have uh, have two
0: people with equal military prowess
1: yeah (laughs) so we have somebody who always runs away from things and somebody who actively hurts people that's on his side and is bad at combat yeah so (laughs) in this very interesting mashup um so and since we're underground I don't know i I can i can kind of see your point about depending on where we are definitely Shast is going to be more maneuverable
0: yeah
1: uh and it's going to be a lot harder for uh rumblebuffin to get around so the his size is definitely going to count against him there um i don't know anything about how if giants have good dark dark vision vision. (laughs) or not who even knows i mean I'd, i'd almost say that you you could make an argument that Rubble Buffin has a home field advantage because like the you know the the part of the underground that we're familiar with is pretty much directly under the ancient giant city. Yeah, so but like that this is doesn't a...
0: mean that he knows how to maneuver in the underdark. Yeah.
1: Um, but then also, as we've established at the tombs, Shasta's no fan of the dark either. Yeah, and he's uh he's oh, yeah. pretty pretty afraid. So we have two people who are bad at combat and. Afraid in this environment, <laughs> um, for some reason, desperately trying to kill each other. I'm just trying to think of a strength one of them has here, because um, for right now, I've got our weaknesses. Yep. Um. I mean, Shasta. Yeah, he has a sword that he gets later, um, and we can say that. I think maybe he might have gotten some fighting lessons from from Corrin Thunderfist. Yeah. Who you know is the best, you know, the best bare hand boxer in the planet. Yeah. Um,
0: Who is also the one whose song was sung in the Ride of Freedom out of the Underdark.
1: Yes. Um, and so, you know, he, he's got a buff there. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I,
0: I think that once again, this is going to be an attrition situation, same as last time.
1: Yeah, and I feel like Shasta is definitely the smarter of the two. And so if he can use the environment to his advantage and just like...
0: Yeah, I mean, if this isn't going to be... A battle to the death, and this is just going to be who can get out of the underdark. <laughs> it's definitely going to be Shasta yeah. winning, probably.
1: Definitely Shasta. Definitely Shasta could probably lead Rumble Buffin into like a corner or something that he couldn't get out of. Um, maybe trick him into falling down into like Bism, bism <laughs> to go hang out with the salamanders. Uh, so yeah, I just, I, I. Other than the obvious size advantage, which I don't think is going to help him here, I, I don't think Rumble Buffin has anything going for him. Yeah. So I think we, we pretty much have to give this one to, to Shasta. Yeah. So, there you go. Second fight done. Indeed. Cool. We'll see what happens after this. Uh. Anyway, so that's that dumb, <laughs> dumb segment. Would you like to go ahead and uh, close this out if there's nothing further to be said?
0: Um, sure. Cool. Thank you so much for joining us today, listeners. And if you want to participate with us in the podcast, you can do so at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, at ChronicallyPod on Twitter, or you can uh, email us, your fan art of Rumble Buffin in the Underdark, at <laughs> chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. You can also support us financially at patreon.com slash chronicallypodcast if you feel like doing that. And until next time, if you're a squirrel, make sure you hoard your nuts.
1: And don't wear a sword around your neck. It just looks silly. Bye. Bye.
0: Okay, but seriously, that was all Wimbleweather, and we don't have time to re-record it. Um, so we're just going to call that uh, Wimbleweather versus Shasta. And uh, we're just going to leave it be. Shasta defeated Wimbleweather, not um, Rumblebuffin. But all of our points of argument are still valid.
1: Particular theory or prenatal... Oh, I'm gonna start that entire thing over.
0: In this judicious plan, judicious plan.
1: Still, for the most. Part. <sighs> Sorry, went up and down the stairs really fast. I'm a little bit out of breath. <laughs> What's this? The the the.
0: Aladdin's story comes from the Thousand and One Nights, right? Yeah. So it's very like this.
1: Anyway, we we value your feedback. We're opening up the feedback. <laughs> uh huh.
0: With Tash and Aslan,
1: Aslan. Aslan, ooh, that's a new one. <laughs> we finally found a new way to pronounce it. <laughs>
0: more than a little lost on what you're talking about right now and how you got onto this subject.
1: Okay. Recap. Making things clearer.
0: He meant to go on and ask how the terrible god Tash, who fed on the blood of his people, could possibly be the same as the good lion whose bloods... As the good lion by whose blood all...
1: Let's go ahead and do that one, whole, the whole thing again.
0: As the good lion by whose blood all Narnia was saved. As the good lion by whose blood all Narnia was saved. As the good lion by whose blood all Narnia was saved.